What's up, homies? I'm Chris Tejas, and this is the Pure Ascent Podcast. Cool. So uh, I just want to off the cuff say, um, if anybody feels uncomfortable about this situation, talking about um, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, anything like that, then uh, I recommend maybe sitting this one out until you feel like you're in the right headspace for it. Um, so I guess this is a trigger warning. Yeah, this is a trigger warning. Uh, I'm going to be talking about my story of dealing with an eating disorder and body dysmorphia over the past, uh, you know, 30 years and sort of how that affected me. And so I know for me, if I'm not in a good, if I'm not in a good mental state, talking about this kind of thing can be kind of damaging and it's easy for people to kind of revert back a little bit or slip up into disordered thought patterns that can lead that can lead to this kind of thing. So uh, I just wanted to be really aware of that and say that uh, for anyone who is listening and feels comfortable listening, this could this could be triggering for things in your life as well that you didn't know about. And so uh, just honor that in yourself and and do your best to be aware uh, if things start to feel like something you just uncomfortable hearing and so I'm gonna try and be pretty pretty open and honest and raw about all this and that might that might make things a little weird you know I I started talking about this kind of thing openly maybe about four four years ago three or four years ago and uh, there's been a huge transformation in my life in the process of talking about it and there's a lot of different important conversations to be having, and uh, this is one that I I've kind of taken it upon myself to to make sure that I have fairly often, and I'm I'm pretty open about because it is an important part of my my sort of history, and uh, and it's an important part about how I how I navigate the world and and look at my own experiences, um, not to be defined by it, but to be informed by it. Okay, cool. So. Um, we're going to go way back because I think to get to the root of anything like this, you almost always have to go right back into childhood uh, because that's where trauma uh, starts usually. So growing up, I was a pretty uh, pretty average kid. You know, I, I think I was a very sensitive kid, though. And uh, when I was four, my dad, my dad left my mom and my mother raised myself and my two brothers. Um, for a few years until she met my stepfather. And it was really in that in that time, from the time I was about four until I was eight, that the sort of uh, foundation was laid for what would later become my eating disorder. It was all kind of confusing to, to unearth and took a lot of time, and it wasn't actually until really recently, sometime last year, I was having a conversation with, with a really good friend of mine, and I discovered in that conversation where the root of it all came from the like the the sort of moment or at least what feels like the moment we'll get back to that because I I, I do want to I do want to cover that but I think there's some some build up there so so okay so my dad left you know it was kind of just my brothers and I trying to figure out what it meant to have um, one you know one parent and my my mom was going through a lot at the time her her father had also passed away right around the same time almost the same week and uh and that that was an incredibly difficult incredibly difficult period for her and so it just meant that she wasn't as emotionally available for us and we were kind of just you know figuring it all out so my dad would you know come back uh every you know every once in a while and we'd see him but it was it was very inconsistent and 
if I look back on that time, all I really remember is staying at a few motels with him, him staying at our house once when my mom left, and uh, and really nothing until my sixth birthday. Uh, I know there were times within that, I just can't remember them. And it was right around the time of my sixth birthday that things started to change a little bit. I had started putting on some weight, and 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 I remember kids starting to notice that a little bit. So I would say somewhere between the age of six to eight is when I started to gain weight. I, I gained a lot of weight. And um, that's not something that is terribly uncommon necessarily. But I do remember there was this really, there's this really poignant uh, memory that I have where we were in class. It was in the, it was in the third grade. It was the start of the year. And we all had to draw uh, these big, we did these big cutouts of, of ourselves that were, uh, you know, they would um, outline us on this, on this, uh, like, sort of like uh, craft paper. And then we'd have to write our name in it. And we'd have to write a bunch of stuff about ourselves. And the teacher made us all take our height and take our weight. And I remember having to weigh myself for the first time ever um, that I was aware of that I was being weighed and weighing more than everybody else. I remember going right after Brad. And Brad was the kid who was really good at sports even at that age and uh I weighed myself right after him and I was a lot heavier than him and I remember the teacher saying well that makes sense you're fat (laughs) what a fucking crazy thing to say as a teacher I'm sure I mean we're probably only just now in the generation where teachers know not to say shit like that but that's a crazy thing to say and that stuck with me so much and I just remember I remember thinking how just how kind of worthless I felt at that moment and and it just kind of progressed like that you know I I kept gaining weight and kept getting bigger and bigger and it meant that I didn't want to play sports because I was ashamed of how I looked and how I felt and that I wasn't you know I wasn't good at sports anyways let alone uh, you know having having to deal with kids making fun of my size and like most people that have gone through that situation I can remember almost every time somebody somebody said something like that to me that really that really stuck you know whether it was being made fun of because I wanted to wear my shirt in a pool because I was ashamed of how I looked or whether it was you know kids making jokes about my size while we were line up in recess and just shit like that it all it all stands out right some of the things that really stand out as I got older, as I got to be 10, 11, 12, 13, were the comments being made by um, comments being made by people that were really close to me. You know, I remember on more than one occasion my father saying something about my weight, and I didn't I didn't live with him. I would go and visit him, and I remember being on vacation with him and going swimming, and him him telling me that I essentially just telling me I was fat, and. I don't think it was coming from a place where he was trying to say that he thought I was worthless like it felt. I don't think it was I don't think he was even cognizant of the fact that he was hurting me. I think what he was trying to say was that he was concerned for me and because I didn't live with him, he didn't really know everything that was going on. He didn't know how I felt. He didn't know um the deeper issues. And to be honest, I didn't really know the deeper issues. All I really knew growing up was that I was super sensitive I really, 
really wanted to have friends and I did have friends uh you know I, I didn't I wasn't alone throughout everything but I really I remember wanting to have friends and and more than once uh you know, having the popular kid in the school say that nobody could be my friend anymore and uh, because of how I looked and, and stuff like that. I, I remember all those things because they all kind of built towards the same end result, which is that I, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel worthwhile. And so then uh, feeling more and more isolated and really not liking the people I was around, uh, get, going into high school, it's tough, but at the same time, I had an opportunity. I, I had switched into a, a different a high school where I didn't really know anybody, and I had the opportunity to kind of be my own person. And to be honest, it was a lot better in high school. Like people weren't making fun of me as much. There was still some of that going on for sure. But around around grade ten or eleven, I kind of had a growth spurt and I started to thin out a little bit. And that was also when I became vegan in in, in grade in grade ten when I was fifteen, and this story isn't really about like, hey, veganism saved my life, but it comes up time and again at, at, at sort of pivotal points in my life where at this time, at least, I had found something that I really cared about, something that went along with my values. And it allowed me to develop a different relationship with food because up to that point, I remember routinely just sort of giving up, just deciding like, well, I'm fat, I'm ugly, nobody likes me. What does it matter if I go and eat at McDonald's every day? You know, and I had always had jobs growing up, so I had money so I could spend it, and I would always spend it on food. And uh, the food I would spend it on, you know, it would be, yeah, McDonald's and, and Harvey's and, and, you know, chips and, and all that kind of stuff um, that most kids can eat, and it doesn't really affect them. You know, they don't go crazy and eat a ton of it, like a whole bag in one sitting or something, but that wasn't that wasn't my relationship with it. And this sort of brings it back. So like, where did this all come from? And I remember on my sixth birthday when my dad came to visit, he gave me a couple of rolls of, of loonies uh, for my sixth birthday in this like festive box and stuff. And it was fun because it was like, you know, it was like, treasure in a way <laughs> being that age and I remember I was really excited to have him at my birthday because I hadn't seen him much and it just it I was so excited I knew he was coming and and I remember spending the whole morning excited for him to get there and he got there and we got to play and he was around and it felt so normal it felt it just like things felt okay but at the end of that he had to leave and I was sort of just left with this box with these rolls of loonies in it and I put it in my drawer with my clothing and I remember every day after that every single day after that I would go to school and our school had this little like canteen kind of thing that the eighth graders ran for their Ottawa trip at the end of the year so they could go away where they would sell like chips and candy and stuff to kids the kind of thing that now we'd be like man that is so not okay we cannot be promoting this kind of horrible food but that's that's what they would do and every single day I would buy a chocolate bar uh, and or uh, like a bag of chips and I would eat them every day and it wasn't until recently that in thinking of that moment I kind of realized that this this pain of losing my father and of him what felt like abandoning us 
I was uh, I was using this money that he had given me as this like currency to trade my trauma and my my sadness for this food that would kind of dull me. And so food became this reward system where anytime I felt pain, anytime I felt alone or sad or anything, I would placate myself with food. It wasn't until I went vegan and I started learning more about food and I started really embracing my connection with food. And like, I mean, I became a total hippie, right? I like, I went, I would go out and harvest fiddleheads and wild leeks and wild asparagus and stuff and make salads and do, you know, and bake vegan zucchini muffins and all this stuff. Like I changed, I fundamentally changed how I ate, but more than anything, I started to change my relationship with food. It became something that brought me joy rather than placating suffering. And when that happened, uh, I went through this total body transformation as well. And I wouldn't really say it's necessarily just because I went vegan. I would say it's it's because of that change in my relationship with food. But also, I grew a foot, so I looked a lot thinner, and I lost a bunch of weight at the same time. So I, I, I went from being close to 230 pounds down to like 160 pounds uh, while going from five feet tall to six feet tall over like a two-year period. And so it completely transformed me. You know, I remember many times... During that process, my my mom just saying something along the lines of like, I always knew that it was just a phase and you just needed to grow and you'd be fine. And I think I think I kind of bought into that too. And there was a naivety to that. Like I there was a, a lack of recognition of the trauma that created the problem that I had. But things things were okay at that point. You know, I graduated high school, I moved and lived on a farm. Uh, I kept working in the coffee industry and I ended up moving to Calgary and getting a job with a company that I loved and, 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 and working in coffee there. And it was all really, really great. It was, it was a beautiful time there. I had a lot of fun. So Calgary was a great time, but it was also a, a difficult time because I had met the first person I had ever kind of, you know, really fallen in love with. And it was a really tumultuous situation and we never really made it work and it 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 battered me up a little bit and made me feel a little bit rough but I think we all you know we all go through that with our first one I think and then I met somebody that I started seeing who worked within the fashion industry we saw each other for a few months and I don't think I really realized how how bad the relationship really was it was it was pretty um you know, there was a lot of fighting. It was pretty, there was a lot of anger. It, it felt, it felt kind of abusive, to be honest. And, and my roommate at the time was kind of mystified by the whole thing. Like, why are you putting yourself through this? And I didn't really have an answer for that. And a few months in, this person essentially stopped, stopped talking to me. And uh, I saw that while they were on a trip away in, in uh, Los Angeles, they had met somebody that was from Calgary. And uh, it turns out they were actually staying together there. Uh, I don't know the whole situation, and huge preface here, I'm not upset by it, <laughs> um, but the one thing, the one thing that hit me about the person was that he was, um, he was skinnier than me, and at this point, I was like, you know, uh, a tall, skinny guy, and I didn't realize it, but I placed a lot of subconscious sort of value on being that. And when this person left me, who was 
a part of an industry that valued that as well and valued how people look so much when they left me for somebody that I perceived to be a better example of what I wanted to be it was really really hard and I what's so weird is that I don't even really think at the time I was super conscious of that I wasn't really seeing that that's what was happening but I definitely uh, I, I definitely was a victim of it uh, so to speak it was also within that relationship that I started eating animals again. I had lost my uh, connection with the vegan movement and with eating plant-based after, you know, it had been seven or eight years at that point. And I just, I just, it didn't really matter to me. I, did, I didn't really care about the things that I cared about before. I didn't care about like, you know, animal welfare. I didn't care about the environmental effects of it or that or the health effects of it I kind of lost all that side of me I'd start eating meat again and I was I was enjoying it I'll be honest like I was I was loving eating meat and I was loving the sort of freedom that came with that and so I went I went and I bought a car at that point after we'd broken up and I and I left Calgary and the reason I left I think more than anything is that I was in a lot of pain and I didn't know why and I felt like I could, you know, I, I felt like this city was too small for me and I had to leave because I knew too many people there and it was too difficult and nobody, I just felt isolated because I knew so many people. And in a way, I wanted to go have a fresh start, kind of like, kind of like when I left and, and went to a different high school so that I could have a fresh start or when I went to Calgary so I could have a fresh start. And so I moved and I did this big road trip, and I spent basically a year driving around North America. And that whole time, I was I was still eating eating animals, and I uh, you know it meant I got to try all the fast food in America. And wouldn't you know it, I put on like twenty pounds. I was tall and and pretty skinny to start, so it it, it wasn't like super super noticeable, but I noticed it. And that's when I kind of. I kind of realized like, oh, I've gained weight and this person left me because this guy was skinny me. It must be that I am kind of worthless because of my size. The crazy thing about it was by any, you know, by any standard anyone else would have, I was a perfectly normal size. And, you know, if you look at the BMI, if you look at all the metrics we use, I was a perfectly normal size. But uh, I thought I was too big. I thought I was too heavy. And... I think at the root of that was that I wanted to be smaller, not just physically, but I just kind of wanted to be as small as I could so no one would notice me, so no one could hurt me, so no one could leave me, because it felt like that had kept happening, and it felt like I was never enough. So that's when my relationship to food changed again, and this time what happened was I became super, super, super strict about what I was eating. And I want to be clear, I don't consider veganism to be restrictive. And at this point, I didn't go vegan. What I did was I limited myself to eating maybe 10 different foods. You know, I would see, I basically started seeing how little calories I could eat in a day. And for about, I don't know, eight months, I got down to eating under a 1000 calories a day. Um, I was really proud of the days when I could get it to like 800 and um, 
basically what I would do is I would get up and I would I would go for a run or I would go work out and then I would have a meal that would be 200 calories and then I would um, need to go lie down because I was so worn out and then I would get back up I'd go do my job and I'd have another meal that was 200 calories and then I would go you know go home for a bit and have to lie down again and then I would do that that would kind of recur uh, and then I would go to the gym again later in the day and then I would go home and I'd have to sleep and I would sleep 14 hours a day and it got it just got wild it got really wild and by the end of it I had gone from being like 180 pounds to 130 pounds I was completely skin and bones and still I felt like I wasn't small enough I felt like I wasn't skinny enough and every time I would hit a new number that meant something like 130 pounds meant something but then it was like I should get below that and it would just get worse and worse and worse and eating this way for long enough what happens is your body gets super messed up you dysregulate your hormones your endocrine system gets all messed up your digestion gets really bad all sorts of problems happen and I will uh I will definitely save the the sort of path that I went down to heal my gut and all that for for another episode but basically uh to give to give some um context you know I was in pain all the time I was tired I was sad I had no libido and I was totally alone living in this place that I was house sitting um super depressed but the other thing that happens after you've done this for long enough is that your body revolts and for me that took the form of binging so what happened was I went from eating under 800 calories a day to eating probably seven to eight thousand calories a day and you know any chance I got I would eat I would eat like a whole thing of ice cream and then a whole pizza and then a you know a bunch of pastries and and it was just crazy I would eat until my stomach felt like it was going to explode and I would do that several times a day and then I started to you know I did start to gain some weight again after that and I kind of, you know, put a lot of the weight back on. And that whole relationship to eating so much, and feel, it makes you feel so awful. Basically, it just dulls everything. It dulls all the pain uh, that you have kind of mentally and provides it physically because your stomach is just like this rock of, of food and it's painful. And it, it's, it, it's a wild thing. And I started to put on weight. And that freaked me out because I was still not okay with my body. And so I started to put on weight. I put on, you know, 20, 30 pounds. And then I was back up to arguably like a healthy weight for me, but that didn't feel healthy. Um, And certainly it wasn't the healthy way to do it. So then one day I remember I was binging and binging and binging. And then I felt like kind of sick and I felt like I was going to throw up. And then I did. And then I can't express how good that felt in one sense. Um, if I'm being honest, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like it's a good thing, but it did feel good. 
because I had lost control. It was eating, I was eating, I was eating. I had lost control and then I threw up and then it was okay. I had fixed the damage and the damage in that sense was my binge. And this is where bulimia stems from. You binge, then you purge. You binge and then you purge. And it all it, it all comes from this root of, of trying to gain control because you've lost control. So you binge, you lose control, and then you make yourself throw up so that you can gain control again. And it felt like this secret weapon. And then uh, everything kind of changed because, you know, I was able to stay at a kind of normal weight and look normal and act normal. I could go... Uh, you know, I wasn't eating 800 calories anymore. I was eating, you know, I, I would eat a normal amount of calories and then maybe once a day I would binge and then I would throw up. And it more or less kept me at a at a static at a static weight, which was really important and physically looking totally normal. So in a way, it felt super, super sustainable, which is fucked up and crazy because it's not. It's obviously uh, people die. People die from bulimia and that's terrifying but going through this essentially I like I found this balance of like okay cool I can appear normal I can go out you know I can start making more friends and go out and doing things and then I can I can have this little secret for myself and I have total control over it because what goes in I take out that's not that's obviously not right. That's obviously a crazy thing to think. But when you're at that point, you've your relationship with disordered eating and with eating in general is just it's so long standing that like it starts to feel normal when you do stuff like that. And and so that kind of continued for a while and that continued for 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 years. I basically did that for you know, two or three years. I I would say two years. I was pretty heavy into bulimia and for about a, a, you know, a year before that, this whole disordered eating journey. But I had had a disordered relationship with eating with my body my entire life. And it didn't really crop up until this time. And so it was around that time that I met my partner that, that I'm with now. And that was, you know, six years ago. And things... Things got better, but not by a lot. I was still able to hide this problem, and I didn't have to talk about it. And I didn't have to tell anyone about it. But eventually it came to a head, and I, and I, and I, I guess I just knew that, I knew somewhere in me for sure that it wasn't okay, and I knew I had to do something about it because it was just getting so... It was starting to get out of my control, where the whole thing is about it being in control. It was getting out of my control. And so I started to freak out about that. And so I started to open up about it. I started to talk to people about it. Uh, I talked to my family. I talked to my boss. I talked to my partner. And I started talking about it. And, and, and that... Man, that was so hard. I can't, I can't express how difficult it was at first to communicate all this it felt like it felt like I was admitting to being a total failure um, but every time I told someone about it it got a little bit easier the next time but it didn't solve the problem because just talking about it isn't enough there's there's things you have to do and and so 
so there's all these things I had to do and you know whether you know it was I was going to meetings and that felt weird didn't feel right for me I would I, I was going to see a psychotherapist and that helped it didn't solve everything but it certainly helped but it was around this time that I was also becoming more conscious of my feelings towards the state of towards the state of the world, I suppose, and the environment and animal welfare started to come back into my life. And I think I, I had started to feel I had started to feel a little bit better. And as I felt better, I was more open to exploring the things that mattered to me. And the things that mattered to me clearly at that time were the environment and and health uh, and, and all these things that had kind of opened back up in my life that I did have early on, you know, in my late teen years. And so I remember we would like, we would drive an hour and a half to go to a farm to buy meat there because that was the only meat I felt comfortable eating and stuff like that. And, and it, it, it started, that started to, I, I still remember I had like this spreadsheet that I had made of like, here's the, um, essentially here's the environmental footprint of all protein sources. And it was just so obvious at that point that I was like, I can't, I can't keep subscribing to this idea that if I go to a farm and I buy an animal, that's going to make it somehow okay. Because for me, it wasn't. And this isn't like a condemnation on anyone who does eat meat or anything like that. It's just for me, I wasn't solving the root issue. And it just became clear. I just like very, I remember my, my partner and I just very simply looked at everything and just said, we have to be vegan. And so that was it. We went back to being vegan. And that was... Yeah, that was five and a half years ago. And and what's interesting about that is not everything changed. Things weren't perfect. I was still having episodes of purging. I wasn't binging anymore, but I would still purge. But they became less and less. And as I became more and more comfortable with with my relationship to food and as I uh, as I had found my values again, things started to get better. And so in a lot of ways, going back to being vegan was like going back to when to when I had first reestablished my relationship with food and when I had found my ethics and found what mattered to me most. And in doing so, things just became so much better and I was able to open up about it more and more. And... One thing that that's really, you know, and I, I remember having this episode after I was vegan where things were, things got a little bit bad again. And I, I you know, there were some personal things happening in my life that kind of, kind of led to that. And so I, I know where that came from, but uh, things got bad again and they didn't get nearly as bad as before, but I just started binging or sorry, uh, I just started purging again a little bit. You know, I was looking at a lot of different options of how I could handle this and one of the things that came up was this idea of like an inpatient program where you basically go and you stay, you know, for a while until things are okay again. The problem with that was that I wasn't going to be allowed to be vegan because there's an assumption surrounding the idea that any type of restricted eating is necessarily bad for people who have an eating disorder. And I think 99% of the time that is spot on. But I knew I was different. I knew that for me, being vegan was what grounded me and made me feel like my relationship with food was okay. 
And so I knew I couldn't go through this inpatient program, and I had to kind of navigate it on my own. And that really just came with doing a lot of work, doing the same kind of work I had been doing all along and just pushing harder and harder into it and accepting where I was at at the same time. One of the things that's so difficult about an eating disorder and about disordered eating in general is that it's the only addiction that you have that that is, you know, at least recognized. There's a lot of, you know, my strange addiction has certainly shown a lot of people some wild, wild addictions on their TV show. But uh, of of all the sort of like recognized addictions that that we typically talk about, whether that's drugs or alcohol or or sex or anything like that, it's the only one where if you what whatever the, what you know the substance is something that you can't stop using. You you have to use food. You can't go cold turkey. You know, while you are navigating your addiction to this substance, you're still having to consume it. And it's not, I don't know, I think that makes it unique. And I've never gone through any other addictions, so I can't speak to that. I can't speak to how difficult those are. All I can say is that I know that having to make myself food every day while having to tell myself that my relationship to that food was necessarily sort of problematic was really confusing and finding balance and that was very hard. But again, that idea of being able to being able to go to go vegan and sort of rekindle my love with that lifestyle really is what shifted it for me and you know, I'm very very happy to say that it's been you know, it's been like 4 years since I've had even even the slightest issue when it comes to that stuff. And and I honestly think it's because my the way I eat is grounded in my ethics. And so there's just no room for it. I'll always have that in me. But so long as I am aware that I'm eating for a purpose and that purpose is to that purpose is to tread lightly on this earth and on the beings that are a part of it then I know that I won't abuse that any longer. And knowing that is is just so foundational uh, and, and at the root of what, what makes me capable of going through painful times and not, not succumbing to that. You know, I, I had an incredibly difficult past 12 months, and if all the things that happened to me this past 12 months happened to me a few years ago, I don't even think I would be here, to be honest. And uh, I think... I think that the eating disorder would have overwhelmed and consumed me totally. So what now? Like, I mean, okay, I've got this kind of good relationship with food, or at least I say I do, but you look at my situation, you're like, cool. I mean, you run an awful lot and you seem pretty, you know, you seem pretty intense about your draining and about the food you eat and all that. Isn't that just another form of an eating disorder? And, and there's a word for it that people can label it with, which is orthorexia, which is essentially just being completely infatuated with eating healthy and exercising. You hear this often, this idea of like trading one addiction for another. And I think, I mean, if I traded bulimia for alcoholism, maybe that would be a problem, but uh, trading bulimia for a love and passion and excitement for 
for food and for seeing the capabilities of my body. You know, I'm, I, I do all these things because I want to see how far I can push myself mentally and physically uh, in, in a completely different way, in a positive way. I think it's problematic when people say this idea of like, you just replaced one addiction for another. It completely discounts the change in the relationship somebody may have. You know, if I was doing all this stuff because I just wanted to be as skinny as possible or as, you know, as muscular as possible or whatever, because I was unhappy with how I look and feel, then um, there could be a problem with that for sure. And I think I think it's always good to check in. And that's that's something that I really advocate for, which is when you're going through this process, always checking in and saying, why am I going through this? Why am I, why am I doing this? Why did I make this decision? Did I decide I wanted to do this um, five-day fast because I feel bad about the way I look? Or did I do it because I believe in the importance of fasting and longevity? And am I just lying to myself when I say that I believe in that? Or is that truly where it's rooted? Or am I you know, running five days a week because I think it's the best way for me to get really skinny? Or am I doing it because I have a goal that I want to achieve? And I've had to check in with myself routinely to make sure that, that uh, you know, it's the latter and not the former. The fundamental thing, I guess, from all of this is that I recently learned where this all came from. And I learned where it started. And I learned that it was about me dealing with loss. And so because of that, and, and especially dealing with loss of, of somebody I loved and somebody I cared about and loss of, in some ways, I suppose, like a loss of innocence, a loss of childhood. And, and so now I know that when I am navigating loss, it's incredibly important for me to be aware of where my previous trauma can lead me. The reality is that my uh, trauma over the uh, the loss of all of those things when I was young can lead me down a path towards my relationship with my body and with my food, and and that's just how it manifested. And so I have to be incredibly aware of that. So for anybody who has struggled with this in the past or is struggling with it or knows someone who's struggling with it, I think it's so important that we get to a place where we can communicate it because so much of addiction and, and an eating disorder lies in uh, silence. And I think shame surrounding it really stops a lot of us from talking about it. Uh, and that's where it sort of grows and that's where it gets stronger and it puts its roots in deeper. And every time... I'm able to communicate about this. I know that I am sort of digging up those roots a little bit. and or, or at very least, because I'm at a place now where I feel really good about the whole situation, I'm not allowing those roots to, to find their way back in. And so I make sure I talk about this routinely. I make sure that I, I make it really open, um, especially because I am a guy going through this. And when I was... You know, when I was kind of in the throes of it all, it was so hard to find any literature or or programs or just resources for men going through eating disorders. It's not something we talk about, but it affects a huge amount of guys. And, and that's really sad. And I actually think 
that manifests in some really negative ways in, in the relationships those men have with other people, with their loved ones, with people of different ethnicities. And, and, and I think it all, you know, having this trauma uh, and having it manifest in this way really, it fucks us up in a lot of ways we don't really fully understand. And the fact that I didn't have anywhere I could go to where I felt like I was being represented in that was really hard. Um, I remember going to like a group meeting about it and I went a couple times and the organizer said to me, it's, it's really great that you're here. You're the only guy we've ever had. And I think it's important for these women to see that men struggle with this too. And in one sense, that was super beautiful. And I was so glad that it removed the stigma to a degree for these women that it only affected them because they were women and that made them less than because they were susceptible to this. But at the same time, all I could think <laughs> on the other side of it was like, yeah, I feel pretty uncomfortable being here. I got to be honest, there's no one here who I feel like I can really, um, there's no one here who I feel like I can associate with uh, that understands the version I'm going through. And so I hope that if anyone is listening and is dealing with this and they are male, they know that uh, it's it's okay to talk about it. And it's it's actually super, super important and valuable. And it's it's what we need to make it better. Having said that, I can completely understand and respect why people don't want to talk about it and and why why it's so triggering for people to hear. Anyways, that's all really heavy and a lot, but I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope that this has been um, informative and uh, hopefully interesting, and I hope for the people that uh, have gone through this too, it makes them feel a little more comfortable sharing sharing their experience and gives a little more light into where I'm coming from when I am speaking about nutrition and herbalism and training and knowing that I'm not just somebody who's been an athlete my whole life and has never struggled with anything like this and uh you know I'm I'm much more on the other side of it all and this is actually a journey that I'm I'm pretty new to and 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 so it's exciting for me cool uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, Om Ham Hanumate Namaha. Peace, homies. Mm-hmm.